service. Disgraceland is brought to you by Disgraceland All Access. Disgraceland All Access membership is your chance to support the show and get ad-free listening, an exclusive scripted episode every month, and exclusive bonus content every week, plus access to an always-on chat with me and your fellow discos. Visit disgracelandpod.com slash membership, or just click on the link in the show notes for this episode. Disgraceland is a production of Double Elvis. The stories about hood hip-hop queen Cardi B are insane. She admitted to drugging and robbing men to bankroll her rise from the streets. She allegedly ordered the beatdown of a strip club bartender to scare off her man. She definitely brawled with Nicki Minaj at a prestigious gala event. Named after the liquor she loved and proudly sporting the signature red of the Blood Street Gang, Cardi, short for Bacardi, became America's biggest celebrity stripper and hip-hop sensation through the sheer force of personality. She took over reality TV, became one of the most successful female rappers of all time, all on the back of her no-fucks-given, in-your-face authenticity. And armed with this diamond-sharp sense of self, Cardi B made great music. That music you heard at the top of the show, that wasn't great music. That was a preset loop from my Mellotron called All the Angels Sing, MK3. I played you that loop because I can't afford the rights to Girls Like You by Maroon 5 with a featured verse by, no joke, Cardi B herself. And why would I play you that specific slice of red pill cheese, could I afford it? Because that was the number one song in America on September 29th, 2018. And that was the night Cardi B found herself in the middle of a violent melee in a Queens strip club that led to charges that still stand today a potential prison sentence and courtroom drama that has yet to play itself out. On this episode, insta-celebrity, strip club beatdowns, red pill cheese, and the inimitable Cardi B. I'm Jake Brennan, and this is Disgraceland. Cardi B kept her right leg aligned vertically with the pole and stood parallel to the cold titanium rod that stretched from the floor to the ceiling. She extended her left leg, pointed her toes and lifted them about six inches from the ground and then began to twirl. As she swung her voluptuous body with grace around and around, she ended her motion by hooking the pole with her extended left leg, gripping it with her inner thigh. She clutched the top of the pole with her right hand and squatted down and back slowly, arching her back slightly, popping her ass out just a touch to accent her natural curves. It was a small but attentive audience who she held enraptured. The late shift. Two old timers, one dude, clearly a perv from central casting, trench coat buttoned all the way up in the middle of the summer, hands nowhere to be seen, disheveled and unable to make eye contact with anyone since the 1980s. The other, a total herb, white dude, thin hair that was probably once blonde but was now too thin and too gray to properly color. He looked tired, beat down, by work, by his wife, by his life. He was a familiar sight to Cardi. 
He and the countless other middle-aged working stiffs who looked just like him and took this ride with her every night. She didn't mind. She needed them as much as they needed her. She threw trench coat purr of a look. His eyes darted away. And then she clutched the top of the pole with her left hand just above her right and pulled her body in slowly to the pole so that it was positioned dead center against her. She pressed her forehead against it at first and then threw her head back, allowing her hair to cascade down to her ass. She pulled herself toward the pole again and slid it between her breasts, then threw her head backward again while slowly grinding her crotch against the pole. Thinning hair dude sat expressionless, just stared at her dispassionately but focused. Trenchcoat perv looked like he was gonna burst, his face flushed, sweat dripping down the sides of his head from his greasy hair, and Cardi knew she had them, both of them. She writhed up on the pole some more, and she swore she saw thinning hair dude's lips start to form a smile. And then, in one quick motion, she lifted her lower body up, clutched the pole with her knees, slid herself down the pole toward the floor, locking eyes with trench coat perv the entire way. Upon landing as her ass met the floor, she extended both legs out like scissors, completely straddling the pole from a seated position. She continued to rub herself against the pole, but now her face had come alive. That big Bronx personality was starting to take over, to ham it up for the audience. Sitting on the floor, straddling the pole, grinding, gripping it with both hands, she leaned backward and began twirling her long brown hair while pantomiming a mild orgasm. She then began pulling herself back up the pole, and as she did, she stared straight at Thinning Hair Dude. He stared straight back. He was transported. Away from his shitty job, away from his demanding wife, she was all that mattered and she knew it. It was working, she had him, him and everyone else. But more importantly, she'd found something she was good at, stripping. Thinning hair dude and trench coat perv were firmly in her grip, near the point of climax as Cardi B rode the pole back down and then... Cardi B let go of the subway pole, grabbed her backpack on the seat behind her, and bounced out of the A-train car for her apartment in Washington Heights. Stripping was a skill like anything else, and if she was going to go get that money, she needed to practice her pole work. And New York City subway cars, in the middle of the night, were a hell of a lot cheaper than renting a dance studio. Cardi had been fired from the Amish market she was working at, and the one good thing that came from the minimum wage gig was the idea her boss had when he fired her. You should dance. You get the body for it. Go across the street. They'll probably hire you. Across the street was the strip club New York Dolls. And although young, 20-something Cardi B likely knew nothing of the 1970s downtown proto-punk band of the same name, the group's trashy glam and New York City street style is a foundational part of Cardi B's makeup. Her DNA is as New York as David Johansson's menacing androgyny, and her personality like Johansson's, as big and bombastic as anything to ever come out of the five boroughs. Management at New York Dolls was quick to recognize this. They knew the little girl from the market across the street was on brand, that all she had to do was act naturally and the bridge and tunnel herbs would unload their wallets onto the glass stage, and she was hired. But once hired on as a dancer, it was survival of the fittest. Dancing was a hustle. You not only needed to be good at dancing, at pole work, at working the customers, but you needed to invest in yourself. The girls who brought home the most bread, two, three grand a night, looked more like Jessica Rabbit curved hip hop superheroes than they did Cardi B, who at the time was going by her birth name, Belcalis Almanzar. And the competition in the clubs 
had curves for days, humongous asses and big fake boobs. Bell Callis needed to invest in herself to make that big bank. And so that's what she did. And before she knew it, she was one of the most in-demand dancers in Manhattan, even traveling out of state for appearances. But it was her regular appearances on Instagram that brought her real fame. Her videos with observations on life, love, stripping, even advice from the dudes and the haters. Her follower count grew right alongside her growing curves, and she made no apologies for her chosen profession or her implants. But it wasn't because of her looks or her dancing that her social profile blew up. It was because she was funny as fuck. She was unique with that big Bronx accent and quipped totally raw and totally authentic musings on most everything. And there was no faking it to make it. There was just, this is who I am, later for you if you can't get with me. I'm going to make you laugh even if you hate on me vibe. And it was infectious. On Instagram, Cardi B turned herself into a meme machine, spitting out constant quotable one-liners that spoke to her specific sense of self and unique brand of feminism. I think us bad bitches is a gift from God. It doesn't matter where life takes me or what life gives me, I'ma be the way I am to the day I die. And if you don't like it, go die first, bitch. I don't care about anyone not liking me. You bitches barely like yourselves. And then my personal favorite. Yo, I wanna eat my own pussy. She created her own language, popularizing words like okur, meaning okay, regular degular schmegular, meaning girl next door, or you know, your basic bitch. Yow, meaning yeah, that's cool, but whatever. And shmoney, as in that's what I want, that M-O-N-E-Y, what it can't buy, I can't use, give me that shmoney. Once she popped on Instagram, the VH1 reality television show Love and Hip Hop came calling. And with her platform on swole, her new manager suggested she rap on those videos she was posting. And once that attitude, humor, and accent was set to rhymes, a megastar was born. After guesting on various singles with bigger artists, releasing her own mixtape, Gangsta Bitch Music Volume 1, Cardi B signed with Atlantic Records. And in 2017, released her first single, Bodak Yellow. And her debut went to number one on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, making Cardi B the first female rapper to go number one since Lauryn Hill back in 1998. But another female rapper almost prevented it from happening. Nikki the Boss, AKA Nikki the Ninja, AKA the Female Wheezy, AKA Nicki Minaj. Nicki Minaj had a thing for the most hated Cardi B. Hey, Discos, it's Jake here. Thank you so much for listening to Disgraceland. Your support truly means a lot to me, and it's because of you that my team and I are able to make this show. If you want more Disgraceland, if you want more regular interactions with me and the community of Disgraceland listeners, or if you simply want to listen to the show ad-free, go to disgracelandpod.com slash membership, or just click on the link in the show notes for this episode. For just five bucks a month, you can listen to every episode of Disgraceland ad-free. Plus, you'll get one brand new exclusive episode every month. You'll also get weekly unscripted bonus content, special audio collections, and early access to merch and events. There are two ways that you can support the show and become a member at disgracelandpod.com slash membership. You can sign up using Patreon and listen to the show ad-free on Apple, Spotify, and most other major podcast platforms. And Patreon members also get access to all the other perks of membership and an always-on chat where I'll be interacting with you and diving deeper into the world of Disgraceland. But 
Maybe you're currently an Apple Podcast subscription listener and you want to just tap into all the bonus audio content and ad-free listening that we're offering. We're also offering this membership as a premium channel on Apple Podcasts. However you choose to join, all you got to do is go to disgracelandpod.com slash membership. Support the show for just $5 a month, five bucks, or sign up for an annual plan and get two months free. Come join me and your fellow discos at Disgraceland All Access by visiting disgracelandpod.com slash membership. There wasn't a square inch of wall visible beneath the cutout magazine images and posters of Taylor Swift blanketing 17-year-old Jessica's bedroom in a DIY T-Swizz collage of blonde, pink, and bedazzled pop style. Jessica was a Swifty, a Taylor Swift superfan, and she had work to do. An hour earlier, a series of DMs set off her Instagram notifications from Vic the Trick, who was part of the Barbs. The Barbs were Nicki Minaj's answer to the Swifties. But where the Swifties were friendly, inclusive, wholesome, digital BFFs to their idol, Tay-Tay, the Barbs were hard, dead serious defenders of their idol, Nicki the Boss. They were known for stomping down Nicki Minaj haters online with the ferociousness of a pride of lions protecting their cub. Vic the Trick's first message was direct. Yo, you a Swifty. Your girl single is about to be bounced from the number one slot by that hoe Cardi, and we need to stop that from happening. The Barb's, like their idol Nicki Minaj, had a thing for Cardi B. It was competitive, territorial, zero-sum. Cardi B's win was their loss, so fuck that bitch. Let's keep her out of the number one slot and send her back up on that pole. But all Jessica wanted was Taylor Swift's song to remain at number one, because Taylor was everything. Taylor was the reason there was Swiftmas. Taylor was the reason she had a kimono. So Cardi B would have to find another way onto the top of the charts. Jessica wasted no time and headed online posting. Your mission today, fellow Swifties, is this. Stream Look What You Made Me Do non-stop on all platforms. We can push Cardi B out of the way and keep Queen Tay-Tay at number one, where she belongs. Do it, Swifties. The barbs got behind the action too, and soon both fan armies were streaming Taylor Swift's single repeatedly on as many platforms as they could, trying to keep it at number one, streaming for vengeance in an effort to hold Cardi B down. But it was no use. Cardi's track, Bodak Yellow, was too good. Cardi's personality, too big. Cardi's own fans, the Barty gang, too inspired. Her song popped out of speakers and headphones everywhere, organically, without digital armies rallying to some contrived campaign. When her single overthrew Taylor Swift's, Cardi B was too ecstatic to let the rumors that Nicki Minaj was trying to mess with her money mess with her. Haters gonna hate, 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 hate. And a lot of haters hated and had lots to say about Cardi B. Another stripper turned rapper. Amazing what passes for talent these days. Can you imagine all the STDs she's carrying? Takes little to no talent to create rap. Just write an expletive-filled rant and put a drum beat to it. She did a vine that went viral, celebrity status overnight. She needs someone to shove something into her mouth. You sing? What work? Get over yourself. God, she's total trash. Wake up, you overrated stripper. Pure G-H-E-T-T-O. Cardi B is only interested in the shmoney and highly overrated. She's a train wreck headed for a dumpster fire. Pure trash. Give me a fucking break. Hard work? How hard can it be? All of her songs are the same nasty foul-mouthed lyrics over and over again. She needs to go back to the crack house. Fuck that. There are two hard truths about Cardi B. She is totally authentic, and she works her ass off. 
Just as her star was mid-supernova ascent, Cardi B found out she was pregnant. In September of 2017, she had gotten married in secret to Offset from Migos, the trio from Georgia behind the Smash, Bad & Bougie single. Rather than take time off, as would have been totally acceptable, Cardi B put in work. There was a record to make. She locked herself in the studio for three months, worked round the clock and endured the constant fatigue and discomforts of pregnancy, nausea, bloody noses, stuffy noses, anxiety, aches, pains, cravings, bloatings, headaches, constipation, mood swings, all without complaining. And throughout it all, she hung tough and the result was undeniable. The album she completed while pregnant, Invasion of Privacy, was a smash, creatively and commercially. Variety called it one of the most powerful debuts of the millennium. The New York Times raved that it was a hip-hop album that doesn't sound anything like any of its temporal peers. And they were both right, especially the Times. Invasion of Privacy doesn't sound like anything else. And to Variety's point, the album is refreshingly raw. It's Cardi B's big major label debut full-length, but it's totally authentic to her unique voice and point of view. Nothing on it, not the production, the lyrical content is cleaned up or watered down for mass consumption. Yet the album debuted at number one on the Billboard charts, and Cardi B became the first female artist to chart 13 entries at the same time. Invasion of Privacy also became the most streamed album by a female artist in a single week's time. Two of the album's singles, Bodak Yellow and I Like It, shot to number one, and by the fall of 2018, six months after it was released, Invasion of Privacy was certified double platinum, and when all was said and done, all of the album's 13 tracks were certified gold or higher. Cardi B's debut album wasn't your run-of-the-mill success story. It was a massive smash, and that kind of success comes with perks. Fame and money, of course, but also access. Doors opened for you that previously barred you from entry. In the fall of 2018, the guest list for Harper Bazaar's annual Fashion Week soiree at Manhattan's prestigious Plaza Hotel listed Cardi B's name, along with an Uber A-list of guests, including Kendall Jenner, Justin Theroux, Russell Westbrook, Meek Mill, and OG Uptown Girl, Christy Brinkley, among others. Cardi was distracted on the red carpet. Nicki Minaj, that first-class pain in the ass, was going to be there. Nikki and her barbs BS, along with her low-key disses on Instagram, liking posts that disparaged Cardi's flow, etc. It all had Nicki Minaj on Cardi B's last nerve. But the offense that had Cardi most upset was Nikki's supposed diss of Cardi's parenting. After Cardi had created one, if not the most successful debuts by a female hip-hop artist while pregnant, and had then decided against going on the road with Bruno Mars, turning down a massive payday in order to stay home with a newborn baby, culture, and to rear that baby, bond with that baby, and raise that baby, fuck Nicki Minaj and her Pink Friday Barbie bullshit. Nicki was decked out in a sequin tiger print gown straight off the runway, her hair blonde, maximum vamp, and Cardi strolled the red carpet in a massive Dolce Gabbana gown, scarlet with ruffles, announcing her arrival with the subtlety of a diamond-encrusted sledgehammer. Her blood-red platform heels killed and were killing her, and she was in no mood. So when someone stepped on the train of her dress, Cardi B's blood boiled, and when she turned around to see that that someone was who she believed to be Nicki Minaj, Cardi lost it. 
she went at her, hot and instantaneous, a five foot three inch manic fury of violence shouting down Nicki Minaj in that thick Bronx accent and raging toward her. Security quickly sprang into action and threw themselves between the two brawling hip hop divas. In the midst of the melee, Cardi shouted out at Nicki, say some shit about my kid again, and lunged through her security before Nicki's security stopped her. Then, Cardi bent over and took off her shoe, the one with the sharp stiletto that had been driving her crazy since she'd arrived. It was no longer a fashion item, it was a weapon. Once freed from her foot and in her hand, Cardi launched it straight at Nikki's head. Security scrambled to move Nikki out of the plaza. Cardi took a beat and realized her gown had been ripped so bad her ass was hanging out. Her security used the train to cover her and hustled her out of the plaza, barefoot. A lesser woman would have been humiliated, but not one who is so comfortable in her own semi-exposed skin. There was no humiliation for Cardi B. Plaza Hotel or not, Harper's Bazaar, Gala, Fashion Week, whatever the fuck, this was who Cardi B was. Fuck them all and fuck Nicki Minaj. Bitch had it coming. We'll be right back after this word, word, word. Cardi B, quote-unquote, emotional gangsta, offered up regular relationship advice on record and on Instagram to her 45 million-plus followers and fans. Cardi's advice in matters of love were self-empowering, shamelessly materialistic, and came with just a hint of vulnerability. Though she married in secret to Offset, Cardi made no secret about her love and admiration for her new husband. But the relationship wasn't without problems. In late 2017, Offset's iCloud account was hacked, revealing not only explicit videos of Cardi from her days on the pole, but also a video of one of Offset's friends, a young, unidentified woman dancing naked in a hotel room. Rumors of the young husband's infidelity lit the internet on fire. And Cardi blew it all off, but the rumors and the suspicion had no doubt stung. And these suspicions were likely swirling around in her head on August 29, 2018, when she and her entourage entered Angel's Strip Club in Queens, New York. The night was supposed to be about blowing off steam, having some fun. And that's what these places were for, except now it would be Cardi B and her entourage sitting on sticky wooden chairs in the audience, making it rain singles onto the stage. Cardi's time on stage was over, but it didn't mean she couldn't appreciate a good night out at the club with her man. And that's what was set to happen when they entered. The bass bumping from the large subs under the beer-stained stage. A shiny faux oak color, dark like the rest of the club. Black bar stools and soft waves of purple from the LED strip lights. The interior design, no doubt intended to imply a sort of regal hip-hop sexiness. In the fake crystal chandelier above the stage, the overpriced drinks and mandatory two-drink minimum, the smell of urine permeating the excitement and desperation in the air, it all added up to an utter drag that was tolerable only because near-naked women were prancing around in thongs and or hot pants and pasties, some strippers working on stage and on the couches out back for lap dancing tips, perfectly legal intimate performances that went from innocent to prostitution with the first flash of real cash. And the other women, scantily clad waitresses and bartenders serving up watered-down cocktails to thugs on pervert row and professionals at the bar. And to Cardi's estimation, the bartenders were a problem. Especially that short one with the kinky hair and the impossibly small waistline who called herself Jade. Cardi was rolling deep. Her man Offset and his group Migos were making a paid appearance at the club. Cardi had her security in tow as well as some friends, a group that swelled with hangers-on once inside Angels. It was loud and that bass bumping. Cardi wanted something from the bar. 
she glanced over. There was that little trick Jade, smiling, batting those fake eyelashes. And her sister, Batty G, at the other end of the stick, the two of them had dudes three deep behind stools competing for their attention. Jade was aware of Cardi B's presence. Everyone was. So Jade was stressing, and her sister, Batty G, knew why. She and Jade had Cardi on watch ever since they ran into her in a hotel lobby in Atlanta a couple months earlier, where they claimed Cardi rolled up on them and out of nowhere threatened to beat them down if they messed with her man. Then, according to the sisters, Cardi B backed her words up with continuous threats of violence on Instagram. Jade and Batty G, if they weren't scared, were at the very least cautious of Cardi. To the world, Cardi B was a hip-hop social media superhero, but to the sisters, she was hood as fuck, a blood gang affiliate, totally intimidating. From behind the bar, Jade caught Cardi's stare. She tried avoiding it, couldn't. Cardi B, AKA the most hated bitch on the planet, as she had jokingly referred to herself. Her wrath as real in that room as the bumping sub. Jade focused on the drink she was making, pressed her thumb to the soda gun. It spat out flat club soda from a dirty line into a dirty glass with dirty smelling ice. And she grabbed a lime, threw it into the glass and slid it across the bar to the thug with the 20. She kept the change and kept her focus on the drinks, avoiding the South Bronx sirens staring her down. Jade wondered what her sister was doing at the other end of the bar. She was afraid to look up for fear of catching Cardi's stare. She grabbed the gun again and sprayed more soda into the glass with a splash of Smirnoff, grabbed another line with her long, dirty fingers, threw it into the glass, and slid it across the bar to the newest thug with the 20. Then she turned to the bar again, and that's when she felt it. Crash, right across her pretty face. Glass, ice, smeared off. Then the swarm of thugs at the bar. Someone grabbed her hair, pulled her down. All she could do was hear that voice, that familiar, thick Bronx accent. You fuck my husband? What? Jade thought. You fuck my husband? Jay, amidst the melee, thought to herself, how could she ask me a question like that? How could she ask me? I'm a sister. You ask me that? Where do you get your balls big enough to ask me that? Again, that Bronx-accented voice, but now, closer to her, above her, hovering. Just tell me. Jade thought to herself, I'm not answering you. I'm not gonna answer that, it's stupid. Again, the voice over the subs. You're very smart, JD. You give me all these answers, but you don't give me the right answer. I'm gonna ask you again. Did you or did you not? Jade in her head. I'm not gonna answer it. It's a sick question, you're a sick fuck, and I'm not that sick that I'm gonna answer it. I'm not telling you anything. You're a sick bastard. I feel sorry for you, I really do. You fuck my husband? You fuck my husband? Then, someone grabbed Jade by her hair. Long, piercing nails, like daggers dragged across her scalp. Jade felt herself being pulled up over the bar. Then a hard thump to her skull. Jade could smell cigarette ashes, could taste the grimy tobacco on her glossed lips. Then smacks to the skull in a giant crash on the back bar. Broken glass, spilled water, all the result of a giant hookah pipe that had been launched at her. Finally, she was let go. She slid down behind the bar to the sounds of the melee entering its second phase, the it's all over but the shrieking phase. Security hustling out her attackers, her attackers busting out a final round of shit talk. And then, that big Bronx accent again. Fuck with my man, fuck with my money, fuck with my man, my man, I'm blood, I'll fuck you bitches up. What might have sounded intimidating, harsh, violent, aggressive, was just Cardi B being herself. Whatever and wherever the hell she happened to be, the club, Instagram, same thing. Cardi B being Cardi B, shouting down haters. 
And then it was over. Authenticity was why Cardi B was at the top of the game. Number one hits, massive royalty checks, sold out shows, diamonds, luxury automobiles, a new house for her mama, a book deal, a movie deal, and a massive rabid following. As Cardi B says, I'm rich, bitch, and I smell like it. The charges the sisters were throwing at her for the incident at Angels weren't anything to worry about. Cardi B showed up in court looking like a corporate hood goddess and rejected the plea deal. She'd beat the rap. It was kid stuff. The misdemeanor charge of reckless endangerment and assault, and it only carried a short prison sentence, probably a year, maybe five, whatever. She knew she'd beat it. After all, she'd done worse and gotten away with it. Trenchcoat Perv sat on the edge of the bed, nervous, and the hotel room was too expensive, but still the AC was busted, and the room was too hot, and he was too shy to take off his coat. And so he just sat there, afraid to make eye contact with the dancer whose offer he'd taken up. It was just too good to refuse, and she was too sexy, and he was too obsessed. He'd been following her around the city since she got her start. At first on the subways, then at various clubs where she danced, and finally to this appearance on stage in Toronto. He nearly came in his pants when she leaned over and sing-songed into his ear. Oh yeah? You wanna fuck me? Yeah? Yeah? Let's go back to my hotel and you can fuck me. All night. It was too much. He said nothing, just stood up, pulled his wallet out of his pocket, opened it to check its contents, flashed his wad of cash, gave her a look and a nod toward the door, and within seconds they were bouncing down the street toward the hotel she'd mentioned. Once in the room, his mood changed. His shyness had taken over. If she wanted a party, she cracked the minibar open and grabbed two nips, Smirnoff for him, Bacardi for her. She told him to close his eyes while she got undressed. It was part of the tea, she said. And when she did, she slipped the powder into the Smirnoff bottle, pulled off her faux fur coat, grabbed him by the back of the head with both hands, and buried his face into her naked, ample bosom, letting out that big Bronx laugh in the process. She shook his head free of her chest, turned to the desk to grab the nips, gave him his Smirnoff, already uncapped, and proposed a toast. To get in that shmoney. He laughed, raised his bottle to hers, shot it down, and fell back onto the bed. He felt instantly relaxed. And then... When he awoke, he was tied up to the bed, his wrists bound by his socks. He was naked, and absent his trench coat with his limp little ticket taker exposed, he felt a sharp shriek of embarrassment. But when he saw his wallet lying on the bed below him and all of its contents, totally gone, in the wind, just like her, he felt humiliated. The robbery was straight hood, just like Cardi B. But Cardi B didn't care. She let the world know in an Instagram story boasting about drugging and robbing men from her stripping days as a means of survival. It was a different reality for her then, but that reality informed her, and she never ran from it. Nothing was handed to her. She had to go out and get it, and that didn't change with success. Sure, there was no more stripping or robbing, but there was still Cardi B, who she was, her authentic self. Hustling, hardworking, shit-talking, big and proud, Defending herself against her haters, against women out to take her man, against divas out to keep her down. And there was no faking it to make it. And she'd made it by being her own damn self every step of the way, without compromise. What's more rock and roll or punk or gangsta about that? Nothing. Haters gonna hate. I'm Jake Brennan, and this is Disgraceland.
Disgraceland was created by yours truly and is produced in partnership with Double Elvis. Credits for this episode can be found on the show notes page at disgracelandpod.com. If you're listening as a Disgraceland All Access member, thank you for supporting the show. We really appreciate it. And if not, you can become a member right now by going to disgracelandpod.com slash membership. Members can listen to every episode of Disgraceland ad-free. Plus, you'll get one brand new exclusive episode every month. Weekly unscripted bonus episodes, special audio collections, and early access to merchandise and events. Visit disgracelandpod.com slash membership for details. Rate and review the show and follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook at DisgracelandPod and on YouTube at youtube.com slash at DisgracelandPod. Rock a roller.